Today we're going to begin learning about Ananias and Sapphira. They sold some land, but weren't exactly truthful about what they did with the money. And we're going to learn a lot. Please get out your Bible, turn to the book of Acts, and here's Pastor David. One of the things that we do is we go through the Bible. And right now we're in the book of Acts, and we've been in the book of Acts since like November. And we're just continuing just a little bit by a little bit to study through the Word. Nothing fancy, just studying the Word of God. And so now we're in the very end of chapter 4. We're going to get through a bit of chapter 5 today. But I'm going to recap for you where we've been. So a lot of things have happened, but let me just kind of go back just one story. The last thing, major thing that's happened is Peter and John, who are disciples that had been with Jesus during his ministry, these guys were fishermen who got called to be disciples of Christ and followed him for three years, and then he died, and then he rose again, and then he sent them out to kind of start the church, and, and the church uh, started with about 120 folks, and it became 3,000, and then these guys, Peter and John, they go into the temple, and a guy who had been lame, he couldn't walk since birth, got healed. And as a result of this healing, all these people came and listened to Peter and John, and they preached about who Jesus was and about repenting, which is to turn away from your sin and to turn towards God, and about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the leaders of the Jewish people did not like that. They don't like Jesus. They don't like the idea of him rising from the dead, especially since they were the ones who wanted him killed. And so they take these guys and they put him in jail. And the next day, they come before, uh, Peter and John come before the great Sanhedrin. This is the, the top, top leaders of the Jewish people, and they get questioned. And essentially, these Jewish leaders can't say anything to them, because standing with them is this guy who had been lame since he was born, who everybody knew was lame, who was now walking. And so the people knew that God had worked through Peter and John, and the Sanhedrin had to let them go. And they come back, and they're very excited about this, that the Holy Spirit had worked through them, they're very excited about the opportunity they had to preach. As they preached, the church grew to 5,000 people uh, from the 3,000-something that it was at the time to 5,000 people. So they're very excited about that. They go back and they pray for strength to face this new persecution that the church would be facing. This young church was going to now be facing persecution. They prayed for the strength to face it, not to avoid it, but to face it. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and the house where they're at shakes like an earthquake, and then it kind of described for us what the church was like. And that's the last thing we studied at this time where they're of one heart and one soul. These people are, have a oneness and a unity together. And they're living this life committed to Christ, committed to following him. And what they're doing is a lot of them are selling all their stuff and bringing all their money and putting it at the apostles' feet for them to distribute. And at this time, we know that the church was at least 5,000 people, and it says that there was nobody who was in need because everybody was being so generous with what they had that all of these people were able to have all their needs provided for. Um, so we talked about that, and then we come into the passage that we're going to read today. And I'm just going to read you the whole passage first. We're in chapter 4 of Acts. We're going to start in verse 36. If you have your Bible, you can pull that out now. If not, it'll be up on the screen, or if you have your little mobile device or whatever, you can read it there. And it says this, And Joses, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it. 
and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much? She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Now that's some serious stuff. And so let's get into to what's going on in this story. We're just going to kind of come back and we're going to go through this kind of a verse at a time. Back at verse 36, it said again for you, And Joses, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So who is this guy? Who's Barnabas? Um, Joses, really Joseph. Some of your translations, if you have your Bible with you, might say Joseph. Probably a, a closer translation. Joses is probably more like a, a nickname for Joseph uh, or Josiah. Um, those, those three names sort of all have the same um, kind of roots. And so that's probably his name. Um, and he's given this name by the apostles of Barnabas. We see in Scripture a number of places where people are given new names by God, in this case by the apostles. And this name that they gave to Barnabas was based on his giftings, was based on the things that he was good at. It says it's translated son of encouragement. Um, another way would be son of exhortation, son of prophecy. Those words all kind of um, have a, a similar word that sort of can mean all of those things. And so the idea being that Barnabas was one who was probably a very good preacher, uh, who encouraged and urged people to walk in the way that is right. He was, he was good at, at, at encouraging people, at telling people what was the right thing to do and helping them. But not just from you know, above to a crowd of people necessarily, but also it sort of implies this idea that he came alongside people. That he would come alongside as an encourager and help them as their faith maybe was going through difficult times. He was the kind of guy who would help you to stay the course help you to, to know Christ and to stay on track to know him. So this is, this is who this guy is. It says he's a Levite. Now, Levite is one of the priestly class of the Jewish people. So there were 12 tribes of Israel. One of those tribes was the tribe of Levi, and the Levites, Levi's tribe, were the ones that were set aside to work in the temple, to do the services, to do the sacrifices, to be the priests. And he is one of those guys. He's one of those guys from that tribe of folks. And he's from Cyprus, which is an island in the Mediterranean, kind of below Turkey. It's a large island, uh, kind of above where Israel is and, and below where Turkey is. And he's from this island. There's actually a lot of Jewish people that are from this island. We don't know how long Barnabas has been in Jerusalem from his homeland of, of uh, Cyprus. But some people have speculated that he's actually been around quite a long time and was actually one of the people who had been following Christ during his ministry. I don't know the answer to that, but we know he is from Cyprus. 
And it says he had this property and he sold it. Now, the Levites, interestingly, did not inherit land that they could sell like the other tribes of Israel who God had apportioned them land. The Levites, their, their inheritance was the Lord. Their inheritance was the fact that they were this priestly class. And they had, they had places, there were some cities set up for them and so on. But the Levites did not have land that they could sell like the other people. Um, so it wouldn't have been something that he had inherited as a Levite, but rather property that he may have bought some other way, very possibly property that was in Cyprus, um, could have been his, could have been something that his wife owned. Either way, he sold this property and then he gave all of it to the apostles to help take care of his brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. And that's what we see. Now, why, why are we mentioning Barnabas here? Why is Luke mentioning? Well, there's a number of reasons. One is Luke is very specific and he mentions a lot of stuff that happened. And so he's just very specific about things that are happening. He names names, and he names dates, and he names places. Um, and so we see that here with Barnabas. We also have a foreshadowing. We're going to see this guy. He's a character who's going to come up later in the book of Acts. We'll see him as actually a missionary who goes and helps start and spread the church. And so we see this foreshadowing. And Luke does this, or the Holy Spirit through Luke does this in another place. We see him introduce Paul. We'll see that really soon where he's going to introduce the apostle Paul, but we don't really hear much else about Paul for a little while after that. So that's one of the things that's happening. I also think that Barnabas is mentioned so that we see the distinction between Barnabas, who the Holy Spirit led through the love in his heart to sell something and give all that he had to help his brothers and sisters, and Ananias and Sapphira, who we see doing something very different. And so I think that's what's going on here and why we see Barnabas brought up in this way. So let's go to uh, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, Ananias, this name may sound familiar to some of you. We actually, some weeks back, talked about a guy named Ananias, who was the, the chief priest, the high priest there in Jerusalem. This is not the same guy. Apparently, Ananias was somewhat of a common name. Maybe not so much anymore, but at this time, there must have been multiple people named Ananias because this is not that guy. This Ananias is a guy who is one of the believers, one of the Christ followers. And we don't know, again, anything really more from Scripture about Ananias and Sapphira than what we learn right here. So we don't know, for instance, how long they've been following Christ, whether they were people who had been following Christ kind of through his ministry and then continued to be Christians, whether they came to the Lord at Pentecost or when Peter and John had preached their message in the temple or at some other time, we don't know. We just know that they were Christians, and that's who we're talking about with Ananias. Um, and from the text, it appears that it was Ananias' idea to hold this money back. Not Sapphira's idea. It was Ananias' idea. But it says that she knew about it. She was aware of it. So that's where we start out. Ananias has this idea. I'm going to keep some of this money back. I'm going to pretend to give like I'm giving everything from this property that I sold to the disciples, but I'm actually going to hold some of it back. So the next verse in, cha in chapter 5, verse 3, it says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? So apparently Peter has been informed by the Holy Spirit that this guy who's standing in front of him and giving this money is lying. And so he calls him on it. He says, why, did you, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit about this money? Why has Satan filled your heart 
to lie to the Holy Spirit. And this is an interesting uh, thing that we see here when he says, Satan filled your heart. Because this whole time in Acts, what we've been seeing is that the Holy Spirit has come upon the church. And the Holy Spirit is filling people. And they have power. And God's doing great things through people. And here we see him saying, Satan has filled your heart. A very, a very strong difference between the Holy Spirit filling your heart and Satan filling your heart. That Ananias, for some reason, has pushed away the Holy Spirit that should have been informing what he was doing and allowed Satan to fill his heart and do this evil thing. So, we see, uh, we know that God looks on our hearts, right? When, we, when God is holding us accountable for something, he's not looking so much at what we do outwardly, but at what's going on inwardly. And I'm not talking about this thing that's beating and, and pushing blood around your body. I'm talking about the, the place where you make your decisions. That place where no man or woman can see, but only God can see. Where your motives are. And, and he's saying, look, that's where you've done this thing, in your heart. You've allowed Satan to come into your heart and influence you to do this evil thing. This is what God looks on. And the Holy Spirit is informing Peter so that Peter, because he couldn't normally see what's in Ananias' heart. Peter's just a guy. But the Holy Spirit has given him information about what's going on in Ananias' heart. And Ananias finds out that you can't lie to the Holy Spirit because he's going to know, right? So, next verse, 5 4. It says, While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now here, this is interesting because the last time we were studying, we talked about this sort of Christian communism that we saw going on where everybody's giving all their stuff away and they're all sharing it. And I said that this was not something that they were compelled to do or made to do. But this is something they did out of the love in their hearts. And here Peter shows us that very clearly. He's saying, look, this was yours. It was yours. You didn't have to sell it in the first place. No one was making you sell it. And even when you sold it, the money was yours to do with whatever you wanted to do with. You didn't have to give it all to us. We're not compelling you to do it. So why are you coming now and conceiving your heart to come and pretend like you gave us all the money from it and keeping back part of it to yourself? What was the point of doing that? And it's interesting that he says, you conceived it in your heart. Just, just a second ago, he said Satan had filled his heart. So it's clear here that he's not saying somehow Satan came into Ananias' heart and made him do something. Because he's clearly saying Ananias conceived this in his heart. In other words, he himself chose to do this thing of his own free will, of his own choice. This was something where he had allowed his evil desire to lead him in a certain direction and do this thing. And as he did that thing, he started doing Satan's work instead of God's work. Instead of letting the Holy Spirit inform him. He's letting Satan inform him. But it was his own choice to do it. It was his own choice to do it. So um, what we have also in this, in this little section here is a theological point that Peter makes. He says, you have not lied to man, but to God. You have not lied to man, but to God. Now, what that says, since he just said you lied to the Holy Spirit and you lied to God, he's clearly saying the Holy Spirit is God. Now, that may be very obvious to you, but for some people, the idea of the Trinity is difficult. The Trinity being that God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that each of the persons of God is God, and that they're all one God. Um, and we have in Scripture, we don't have the word Trinity, but we have in Scripture clear examples where he tells us each person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are God. And this is one of those places where he says it about the Holy Spirit. And it's important that he's saying, you're not lying to man, you're lying to God. But hang on a second. 
he's talking to Peter and the apostles, right? And they're, and they're men. So he is lying to man, right? But what Peter's point is, is look, your giving isn't about me. I don't care what you give or don't give. I know that God's going to take care of the church and he's going to take care of his people. When you come and give, that's something between you and God. So when you lie about your giving, you're not lying to men, you're lying to God. Just like here, I don't know what you give. The only reason I care about you giving or not giving is because I want to see you be obedient to God's call on your life. And he's called you to give generously to the church for the work of the kingdom of God. So, of course, I want you to give for that reason. But God's going to take care of stuff. I'm not concerned about it. Between, it's between you and God. So if you lie about what you do, tithing or whatever, that's between you and God. That's not about me. You're not lying to me. You're not lying to the other elders of this church or the leadership of this church. You're lying to God. And that's what Peter's saying. I don't care about it. This, this had nothing to do with me. You're not lying to us. You are coming in here, and when you talk about your giving, which is between you and God, your lies to God. Your lies to God. So uh, let's read the next verse, verse 5. It says, if I can find it, it says, Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. So when Ananias hears Peter say this, Call him out for lying to the Holy Spirit, for lying to God. He dies because he lied about his giving. So what I thought we could do now is just take a little bit of time, and I'm going to ask each one of you about your giving. (laughs) It seems like a good time to do it. Fear has come upon us all. No, it's pretty serious stuff, though, right? He dies. He lied, and he dies. Now, there's some theories that say, well, what he really died of was a heart attack or something like that because, you know, he was so um, stressed out from being called to account in front of the disciples. But I don't think that that's what is being suggested here. I think it's pretty clear that God allows Ananias to die for his sin. And we may not like that because we like to kind of look at it like, okay, Old Testament God was the kill people God. New Testament God is the everything's okay God, right? And, and he's the nicer God. But God is God. He's always been God. He always will be God, and he doesn't change. So the God of the Old Testament was a loving, loving God, and the God of the New Testament is a loving, loving God. But God is a holy, holy God, and he has a standard for people. And here, Ananias has clearly broken the standard that God has, and he died. It's not, there, there is no difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. And so this great fear comes upon people. Now, the great fear would not have come upon people if Ananias had had a heart attack. If he just had a heart attack, they're like, wow, Ananias, you know, he got called out and he was so nervous, you know, he had a bad heart, he died. That wouldn't scare people. That wouldn't scare people. The only thing that would scare people, the only thing that would cause fear is the idea that God had been responsible for Ananias' death that God had allowed this thing to happen. And so um, the people in the church have this fear. When we talk about fear of God within the church, we're really talking about something different than being scared. We're really talking about something different than just being scared God's going to come kill us. The idea of their fear is that they, they have this fear of God because he's awesome and he's holy. And when I use the word awesome, I'm not using it like we often use it to mean anything that we kind of like. Oh, that's awesome. The word awesome is actually totally misused in that way. It's a very particular word. It goes along with the word awful, which doesn't mean bad, or originally didn't mean bad. It's come to mean that what it originally meant was full of awe, that God is 
full uh, of awe, that we should be in awe of him, that he's holy, that he's great, that he's the creator of the universe. And sometimes we forget that as we concentrate on the side of our relationship with God that has to do with God being our friend and that type of thing, which he is. And there's a closeness and there's, and there's an intimacy in the relationship. But the fear part is that recognition that it's intimate, but that God is still holy and awesome. And so that's how the church looks at fear. Those outside of the church probably look at fear a little bit differently than that. God really is the all-powerful, almighty creator of everything. And we always need to keep the proper perspective and to remember what an amazing blessing it is that we can know him as not only our Lord, but our Savior and friend. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Contemplate with Pastor David Robinson, and I'd like to invite you to visit us here at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington, this Sunday morning. You'll love hearing Pastor David in person, so come see us. Get directions and all the info you need at axechurchnw.org or call 360-885-9000. Well, that's it for today, and I hope you'll join us again for another great Bible teaching here on Contemplate.